what's actually a really good sort of like tactic or, or hack, if you will, is uh, giving rewards and have a, a sort of sophisticated reward structure. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked in our show notes. Uh, now she's talking. She's helping me record today's intro. Welcome, everybody. Global from Asia, episode 205. We're getting deep into December. So as I said, with Miles in the intro, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, to be more politically correct. We have lots of international friends here. And in China, there's not much of a Christmas, but there's tons of mall decorations everywhere with Santa Claus and Christmas trees. I think it's great for business. <laughs> Retailers love it, right? They, uh, I'm sure their sales goes up with the Christmas decorations. And I hope you're all having, staying warm. It's a little bit chilly here in Shenzhen, but staying okay. Hopping between Hong Kong, Shenzhen as per usual. And we've been really deeply working hard on the cross-border summit. We got the dates April 20th and 21st, even adding an extra half-day mastermind on the 19th. 2018, four months away. Can you believe that? More than that, actually. So we got plenty of time to plan. Hopefully some of you can make it. And if not, we, had, we do have an online ticket and it does support me and Global From Asia's movements and Maggie's powdered milk in Hong Kong. So thank you everybody for listening. And today's a short intro. We're going to get into the interview with a longtime listener, Victor, from freetrade.io. And he is talking about some his journey. It's a story and it's also some tips on equity crowdfunding. He really enjoyed one of our shows we had with Nathan Rose on equity crowdfunding. And he comes on to share about that and how he followed that to his current venture. And uh, they're almost ready to launch into the new year as well. So it's an exciting show. Everybody enjoy. Thanks again for listening. Let's tune in. Episode 205. com slash episode 205. Thank you, everybody. Maggie's so quiet. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into our Global From Asia podcast. We have with us Victor Nebahoy. And I know we've been talking for quite some time. I know you've been listening to the show for a while. So thanks so much, Victor, for, for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great story today. We are titling this The Ex-Googler Who Moved From Asia to London to Build a Fintech Company. And we, you know, I think it'll be a fun discussion. So you're, maybe you could just introduce yourself a, a little bit. Uh, we have some notes here. Originally from Hungary and you're an early Googler from 2005 when there was less than 100 people in Europe. So uh, do you want to give some people a quick background from for yourself? Yeah, definitely. My, my background is a little bit complex. So uh, so usually it makes an entertaining story. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> so so I, I grew up in the East Block, in, in Hungary specifically. And, you know, I, I think in 2004, we joined the EU, which was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And I, I guess, you know, to, to most people in, in Hungary, because, you know, the, the world kind of opened for us. And I, I kind of had this idea to work abroad. You know, I was very curious, kind of adventurous. I just finished university and I, I really love the internet. I, I got broadband not a long time before we joined the EU and I really enjoyed it. Started blogging, had a little bit of following, um, you know, did my little HTML, CSS coding. And I, I came across, you know, Google and, and I, I just used it all the time. And I was dreaming about how it how it would be to, to join that company as well. And they opened an office in, in Dublin. So, so I, uh, so I applied in 2005 and, uh, back then it was, it was more of a startup Google. It, it's, it's a gigantic enterprise right now. So it's kind of hard to imagine, but it was very unstructured. I had like 10 interviews probably. And after the 10th interview, they, they sent me an email that they extend an offer to me. So, so I joined Google, the team I was in, it was actually pretty secretive at the, at the time. It's called um, search quality operations. Uh, even today, I think it's like an extended arm of the search quality engineering. And you kind of look at websites and, you know, you, you try to identify whether they do a black hat search engine optimization. Mm. So if you do that kind of stuff, you, you learn some, you know, some things that people would describe as secrets. Nice. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, it, it gives you a little bit of an advantage for sure. You know, these days SEO is really advanced and people do a lot of testing. So I, I would not claim I have such a big advantage, but, but definitely you see lots of interesting things inside of Google. So, so that kind of set me up for, um, you know, search engine optimization. After seven years at Google, and, and you know, I, I got to travel with Google quite a lot, which, which I'm really thankful for. But after seven years, I was, um, I was wondering, you know, how the outside world might look like. You get a little bit cozy when uh, when you work at Google. You are in a little bit of a bubble because mm. you get free food, yeah. um, and Google hires these chefs who provide really high quality food for you every day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, probably. And you know, I, I, I wanted to do something else. I, I think seven years tends to be a, a sort of a turning point in human relationships as well, and. I was very interested in moving to Asia full time. I, I was there before with Google, but you know, I wanted to go there full time and, and be part of that growth. And everybody was moving to Singapore and I, I tend to be a little bit of a contrarian. So I was looking at the other option, which was Hong Kong. And I was uh, looking for jobs, uh, interesting opportunities. And I quickly came across a head of SEO role at iProspect, which is, uh, which is an agency network. Yep. And yeah, and, and at, at the time they were actually working on migrating the largest digital media account at the time, which was General Motors, uh, from an, another agency, which was Starcom Media West. There was a big pitch in the U.S. and they won the account and they needed somebody to head up the, the Asia Pacific, Africa and uh, Middle East search engine optimization teams for General Motors. So, uh, so, so yeah, I, I accepted that offer. It, it, it was really great. And, you know, like I said, I, I traveled to Asia before, but it was nothing like 
you know, it's very different when you move there full time. You know, even when you travel, you are in a little bit of a bubble. You don't really experience how it is to live there. So, so when, when I landed in Hong Kong, I, I had this medium-sized suitcase containing all my belongings. I, I'm, I'm kind of big on, on the sort of like, um, you know, having as few belongings as possible. Um, so, so, so I landed and that was pretty much, uh, you know, I wrapped up my life in, in, in Ireland, in Dublin, Ireland, and, uh, that, that was quite a big move and I wasn't really prepared for it per se, but I, I think you are never really prepared to do this mm. kind of big moves. You just have to take action and, and go for it. Uh, yeah. there will be always a reason not to, not to do this. So let me recap a little bit here. We'd cover a lot. So you you went to Hong Kong for iProspect, and you were working on our big one of our big accounts. And then how did that get to Dublin? Oh yeah. So originally I was based in Dublin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so that okay. was my basis with with Google. That that was the base location I was I was based at. So so that's how you know a very different place. Uh, so I spent seven years in, in, in Dublin and uh, Ireland is a very different place from Asia. It probably yeah, not, seems like it. not be any more different. So, yeah, let me let's talk a little bit about Hong Kong. You you like you enjoyed it there. I, mean, I know we've talked in, in messages before. You, you enjoyed Hong Kong and Asia. Yeah, definitely. It was very different from Dublin and, and Europe in general. Just the level of energy and, and kind of the speed people work at. I have not really seen it mentioned anywhere else too much. But, but one of the main differences I found was that people just have a higher pace in, in Hong Kong and in Asia generally. Ve- very small things where you notice, for example, they would return your emails really fast. Whereas in Europe, there is more of a focus on, you know, work-life balance, that, that kind of stuff. And I just felt I could work faster and achieve more in a shorter amount of time working in Asia. So, yeah. so that was really great. Yeah. And you know, other everyday things that were really different were food, for example. You know, I, I grew up in Europe, so all that stuff was actually pretty new to me. Um, when, when I grew up, it, it really wasn't as cosmopolitan. I think Dublin had maybe one uh, Indonesian restaurant, maybe a couple of Chinese restaurants. I, I would not really know that kind of stuff. So, so that was very different. But I decided to embrace it and uh, immerse myself. So that was quite a fun experience. And uh, generally getting to travel across Asia as a part of my role, uh, that was very interesting, learning about the different markets. Makes sense. Makes sense. And yeah, I mean, the fast paced something that also gets me excited about Asia and my experiences here is it's it's almost a little bit, I just uh, crossed the border again yesterday before recording this interview and it's uh it's definitely sometimes can get a little bit tiring but overall i like yeah. it for sure and then how long were you in uh in asia or in uh, hong kong i i spent a year there i was hoping to spend more time my girlfriend joined me in hong kong and it, it was really hard to find a role for her i i think you know when, when you are a woman i i, I think that's uh, you know, you, you don't get treated the same. I, I mean, the same sort of thing exists in Europe as well to an extent. But I, I think I read this article about the tax you have as a uh, as a woman in terms of how much more education you have to have in order to get the same opportunities, uh, how much more you have to invest into yourself. So, so that's definitely challenging. I, I would suggest 
if we had to do it, if we, if we were to do it again, we would find a role for her inside of Google before she before she moves over. Because um, we were doing the same thing. I, I left Google, found another role, and the hope was that she does that too. And, and that did not entirely pan out. So after a year, we moved back to Europe. Nice. And then... How was that moving back? I know it was only a year, but we've had some shows in the past about the reverse culture shock or, or how, how is that going back? Yeah, Mike, definitely. I think the reverse culture shock can be even stronger than the original culture shock. You know, you set yourself up in Asia or, or wherever you move and you sort of get used to it and, and immerse yourself. And when you move back, you, you almost immediately start missing things that you really enjoyed. In, your, in, in Asia, let's say in this example, um, you know, the, the pace, how fast you can get things done and the pace of things in Europe is definitely slower and just generally the level of energy is, is very different. Yeah. So uh, the reverse culture shock definitely exists. Nice. Yeah. I've no, I'm going to go back to the U.S. for over, it's been over two and a half years since I've been back to America and I'm already preparing mentally for the reverse culture shock. I agree, agree with you. So let's get into some business talk. And then you're, so this sounds exciting and the fintech company and you got into free trade, the company and it's, let's, let's, let's hear this, this story, how you got into it. Right. It's actually a very interesting story. So my girlfriend got a role with Google London. So we, so we moved, uh, when we moved back to Europe, pretty soon we ended up in, in London. And that was, that was an entirely new location for me. And one of the very interesting things in the UK is how sophisticated equity crowdfunding is. So I found my, myself pretty sucked into that sort of scene. There are a couple of really interesting fintech companies uh, in the UK Monzo, the bank, would be one of the examples. And usually these companies, they like uh, crowdfunding because it almost immediately gives you a community and, and instant marketing pretty much. And I, I started investing initially small amounts into these uh, uh, mostly fintech companies on, on Crowdcube, specifically crowdcube.com. And uh, free trade popped up on my Crowdcube feed. And, you know, I, I'm actually a big investor, like as, as, a, as a private investor, I, I invest into ETFs and, and individual stocks as well. I've, I've been doing that for a while. So when I moved to the UK, I, I never found a good uh, service to do that. The, the commissions are insane. Uh, you want to buy stocks or, or ETFs and, and you end up paying uh, like 12 pounds per transaction, which is really high. If you really think in, in terms of, you know, you want to uh, put a couple of hundred pounds into your investments every month, you want to buy ETFs or stocks, the, the transaction costs just really add up. And usually the fees are very complex. You have platform fees, on top of transaction fees, and, and lots of different fees that you would only find in the blueprint. Anyway, so free trade popped up and, 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 and that was something that I've been looking for, um, something like Robinhood, but in the UK. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the company was in, in a really early stage. Uh, but when I saw it on Crowdcube, I, I piled in with a, couple, uh, with a couple of thousand pounds. I, I, I basically um, put in as much money as I could at that point. Uh, which into what, what was pretty much a pitch deck at that point. Okay. 
Yeah, and uh, it, it turned out I was I was the first investor who uh, put a meaningful amount of money into the company and was not friends or family. So I, I guess that makes me a fool, uh, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, there's the three Fs. So friends, families are fools for those. Exactly, yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I was, I was in that category pretty much, but I just believed it, believed in it so much. And uh, so, because I was the first investor uh, who invested that much, I started talking with Adam, the, the CEO, and uh, you know how you end up giving advice, sort of, oh yeah, you should do this for growth, you should do that, or um, you know whatever is your expertise. And that turned into a, a year-long conversation with Adam. And after that, uh, the time was right for me personally to, uh, to join another company. So I told them, you know, why, why don't I throw my own hat in the ring and, uh, and apply for a role with them? They still interviewed me <laughs> despite of me being an investor. I, I mean, really? no, no preferential yeah. treatment here. Huh? Exactly. Uh, th- that's the right thing. I, I think you, you, you have to have certain standards and you want to make sure whoever joins the team really has the skills that you need. And I passed the bar and I joined in June. Okay. That's, that's exciting. So that's pretty recent. And how has it been so far? I mean, you guys are still are not yet open. We were talking before the recording. So lots of, lots of work on what, what have you been mostly, mostly doing in there? Right. Uh, we are pre-launch and we, uh, we will start the rollout early in, early 2018 and uh, basically what takes time and you know that's uh, that's actually something that I want to get the word out about is is, is building the financial firm uh, behind the behind the app so so it's going to be mobile first an app an investing app but but at the same time you you have to build an actual stockbroker on the back end of that so a lot of time we spent a lot of time on on getting authorization from the Financial Conduct Authority, which is the, the financial regulator here in the UK. And uh, that's very involved. You have to mm. uh, criteria. And we just received it on the 2nd of October, actually, so um, about um, two months ago. So, so yeah, that, that, was, um, that was quite involved. And the other aspect, which takes a lot of time, is, is, is building the actual backend that you tap a button, you, you, you buy stocks and, and executing that transaction, lining up the technology systems integration, doing test trades. We, we are actually um, in that phase right now. So our systems are close to be up and running, but we, we, we just want to make sure that we test the systems first. So ourselves in the team, we, we have our accounts and we will execute um, some transactions in the, ne- in the coming weeks. And that was, that, that was a long road uh, getting there. So pretty much building a stockbroker from, from scratch, that, that, that's what took time. Mm, yeah, I can imagine all the regulations. So let's, let's go some tips. I know you, you enjoyed Nathan Rose's podcast interview way, way back episode 141 we even talked about it and you hope to get it we got it picked up on uh, product hunt too which is cool so equity crowdfunding what what would you say you've you you, you guys have done well you you had a second round on crowdcube that you said did really well do you yeah. want to give some uh give some tips yeah, definitely. Um, so Nathan's episode, I, I really love that episode. I, I remember I posted that on Product Hunt uh, <laughs> since yeah. that day. 
they don't have the podcast feature, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, that was a brilliant episode. And um, it, it really caught my attention because I've been doing um, equity in, uh, crowd investing here in the UK. And with free trade, uh, we actually had two um, crowdfunding rounds, one as a sort of pre-seed round and a, and a seed round earlier this year. Both of them did really well, particularly the second second round we went 360% above target. We were going to raise about 300,000 pounds originally in our second round, uh, but it went all the way to 1.2 million pounds, uh, if I remember correctly. And, and it just kept going. So, so in the end, we had to manually uh, sort of switch off the, the, the campaign. I think it would have gone into multiple millions and and there are a couple of learnings for us from there. First of all, so we've seen and, and we keep looking at other crowdfunding uh, companies, and we see that B two C companies tend to tend to do really well uh, because crowdfunding investors they tend to be consumers themselves. They tend to invest into something that they really understand uh, that they can be consumers of. I would not say it's impossible for B two B companies to do a, a successful equity crowdfunding, but they just really have to make sure that they translate the product to consumers. So there is definitely that bias there. Mm. Uh, other than that, what was what, what's actually a really good sort of like tactic or, or hack, if you will, is uh, giving rewards and have a, a sort of sophisticated reward structure. Because usually people who, let's say, can commit a couple of thousand pounds and it's pretty much the same for them, whether, whether they commit 2,000 pounds or 3,000. You want to maximize those pledges. You want to maximize those investments. And, and rewards are uh, a good um, sort of tactic to achieve that. For example, for people who, who, have, uh, who had a couple of hundred pounds to invest in our second crowdfunding round, we would offer like swag or T-shirts if they, if they commit 500 pounds. Okay. And you would not believe, believe how, how enthusiastic people get about, our, about their swag. Nice. So we, we were actually late uh, with, uh, with our vendor. We, we, just, we just always had different priorities, the authorization and all, all, all that stuff. So, so we never got around actually doing the T-shirts and, and, and hoodies that we promised. And we kept getting emails almost every day. Uh, where is my swag? You know, those kind of emails. So people are really passionate about that, uh, which is great. And uh, we had other rewards as well. For example, if you invested on over a certain amount, you would have uh, uh, Class A shares uh, versus, um, you know, for smaller investments, you get uh, Class B shares. Mm. So no voting rights. Uh, that kind of stuff worked really well. And so people really look at the... So, so they usually make an initial decision whether they, they like your product and company. But many of them look at the pitch deck as well. So... So it makes sense to invest into the pitch deck, really have your, I mean, this is basic stuff, but you really have your um, uh, story properly told with financials and all that. So these would be the uh, three quick tips um, I, I have off the top of my mind. Great. Thanks so much for sharing that. And then, and then we're talking about, yeah, so you have some experience on, on both sides with uh, FinTech in London and, and in Asia and we were even before the recording talking a little bit about some differences you were seeing in, in the cultures and a little bit in the show. Do you, what do you see as, uh, as some differences here in the fintech world on East and West, maybe? 
Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that, that's a very interesting question because fintech is such a focus in Hong Kong as well and in Singapore. And each, each location has their individual, individual challenges and, and strengths. Uh, the, the biggest difference I, I, I see, which, which is very obvious, is, is uh, related to regulations. So you want to make sure you are properly authorized and you have the proper permissions and all that. And in the UK, the FCA is very innovation friendly. So they actually treated us much better than, you know, like uh, third party companies we, we wanted to work with. They just have such a customer service approach and, uh, and, and they are really encouraging innovation as well. Uh, the FCA has this uh, sandbox initiative for fintechs in the UK that, where you can, you know, sort of test your products and, uh, um, yeah, uh, and the passporting. So Brexit notwithstanding, uh, the best passporting rights is just a brilliant innovation that you can you can pretty much sell your services across Europe. So that's that's definitely a big plus. Uh, whereas in Asia, the borders are more closed, and of course there are gigantic markets like China, for example. But those markets have their own complexities as well. So yeah, re- regulation is, is a big one. Also, I think in terms of in, in terms of what kind of services people need, that's very different as well. The UK is a relatively sophisticated market, whereas in Asia there are other opportunities. I think a couple of companies do remittances really well in Asia. You know, people who go from the Philippines or or Indonesia to work in Hong Kong, for example, they have an immediate need to send money back home, which doesn't exist in Europe to the same same extent. But if it does, transfer-wise and similar companies really cover it really well. Uh, so there, there are very different opportunities in in, in terms of uh, products. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I have not much experience in Europe to be to be honest with you. So I'm getting some ideas here. So thanks so much, Victor. This has been a, a great a great show. We had a little bit of your story and a little bit of equity crowdfunding and fintech, and it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And We've been communicating for a while and I'm happy you're enjoying the podcast series. So, so you're expanding. Free trade is coming out soon. It's still not open to the public, but we were chatting a little bit. We, you want to hear from some of the listeners and get some feedback. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. Then we roll out, we initially roll out in the UK, but, but we, we are already. We've started discussions in terms of um, where we want to expand. And, um, you know, the things that we are doing, they, they are best done at scale. Basically, the more users we have, the, the better we can do free stock trading. And we, we've been considering which markets to, to expand into. And, and Europe is very, um, very logical as a first step for us. We've, we've been getting a lot of feedback, particularly from Singapore. People, we talk to and and there may be a little little bit of bias there because uh, there are a lot of Singaporean people in in London and uh, we just may get to talk to them a bit more than than um, than people from other countries but but basically we are wondering if if there would be any sort of interest for free stock trading in Asian markets particularly in in Singapore but we what we discussed with you well um uh, actually, I, I want to run a survey, if if possible, and put together a, a Google form. And I'd be really interested if people could fill out that survey, which is basically about whether they would they would use our service free stock trading. 
And uh, to sweeten the offer, we we have a little bit of incentivization. So uh, if people fill out this survey, we'd love to give them, you know, we'd love to choose uh, random people and give them early access to the app. We'll roll, we'll roll out uh, gradually and it will take a couple of months to roll out. And basically, if, if somebody who fills out the survey in Asian countries happens to have UK tax residency, we'd, we'd love to uh, give them early access. But we recognize that not everyone has a, um, is, is resident in the UK. So, so we'd love to um, give, give away some swag pack to people, our hoodie and, and T-shirt. And we hope that people would love to wear them uh, in the street or, or during their workouts. Nice. Um, so that's basically the, the request to the listeners. Sure. Maybe we could put some pictures of it on the, on the show notes too. So just to, just to recap with some people, listeners. So yeah, you're, you want to get some more, you know, I guess it's always critical. You're before you launch, you want some more feedback and ideas from people and you put together a Google form and, and, uh, how many? How many do you think you're going to be able to 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 hook up with the uh, with a gift or or this early access? We'd love to hook up uh, ten people. Okay, great, awesome. So it sounds like a good opportunity. It's before Christmas, so I think we're saying the show's going to go online in uh, in December. We'll give a couple weeks, so December twenty third cutoff. I'll put the I'll put it on the show notes so you guys can check that out and. For those that maybe listen to the show later or just want to check out your website, it's freetrade.io, right? Correct. Yeah. So I'm excited to, I'm excited for you. 2018 is going to be an exciting year. You, you've uh, done quite a bit already and you're, you got all, all the things. It seems like you're almost ready to go live, but you're making sure everything is even better. And I wish you the best Correct. of luck. I wish you, really wish you the best of luck, Victor. And, and, uh, excited to keep, track of your progress over the next uh, next year and beyond thanks mike really appreciate it awesome thank you victor for sharing it's quite an interesting story in google and into asia now into london and equity crowdfunding i wish you the best of luck and and i hope some of you guys take him up on his offer for his swag or early launch he's saying there's tons of people in europe interested in this in this service. So I hope you guys show some support for him. You can get the links on globalfromasia.com slash episode 205. And again, thank you for listening. It's, uh, it's an amazing time in the world where we can share, you know, knowledge and audio files or video even all around the world, almost in real time. So I appreciate you guys choosing to listen to Global From Asia and feedback is always appreciated. I like getting feedback uh, about how to improve the show, guests, and other ideas of how we can make this bigger and better into the new year. Take care, everybody, and have a great day. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.